Have you forgot about the rock? Not the wrestler. Peter, the rock. Two Sundays ago, we encountered that beautiful moment between Jesus and Simon. That moment when the fisherman who left everything to follow Jesus became the rock upon which Christ would build his ecclesia, his church. And then the powerful moment when Jesus said those rather amazing words to Peter, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Do those words sound familiar? As we fast forward to today's gospel passage, they ought to sound familiar. Because Jesus once again has his 12 closest disciples, his 12 apostles gathered, forming them, teaching them. And then he says to all of them, not just to Peter, Amen, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So now Jesus is extending this power to bind and loose to all 12 disciples. If you remember two, Sunday ago, two Sundays ago as well, that idea of binding and loosing was a way to describe, to give over a particular power and authority to one in charge of a kingdom. And so now Jesus is extending that power to these other 11 apostles. Now only Peter has the keys. Now the others share in that power and authority that was given to him to bind and to loose. Now it's within this context we have to recognize that we get those famous words from the Gospels. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Now these words, they can have a, let's say, an individualistic meaning. That where two or three Christians are gathered together, surely Jesus is present. But its primary meaning, as we hear in today's Gospel, is an ecclesiastical meaning. Can you hear Ecclesia. The primary meaning is actually in reference to the church and to her apostles, her bishops, who are the successors to the apostles. Namely, that when they gather and pray together, and when they gather and when they teach in the name of Christ, they do so with the voice of Christ. If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. So what's so important about this? What makes this relevant to you and to me? What can we take away from this? I share with you this powerful quote. It's a quote from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, which is the teaching of the successors to the apostles who have been given that power. And they quote today's gospel in referencing this quote that they're, I'm about to say. It says, the words bind and loose mean whomever you exclude from your communion will be excluded from communion with God. Whomever you receive anew into your communion, God will welcome back into his. Reconciliation with the church 
is inseparable from reconciliation with God. Some powerful, bold, yet true words. And this is extremely important for us. It's important because nowadays, and especially nowadays, there's a notion that sounds like this. Maybe you've heard it. I'll just go to God. I don't need the church. I can neglect the church. I'll just go straight to God. How often do we hear that about confession? It's kind of like this individualistic reality that Christianity is, that Jesus was coming to form individual Christianity, but no. That's not the kind of Christianity that Jesus has come to form. Or maybe you've heard people say this. They say they follow Jesus, but they don't like organized religion. It's all man-made rules and regulations. It's a my Jesus and your Jesus kind of approach to Christianity. But my brothers and sisters, our faith is much bigger and much greater than a my Jesus and your Jesus faith. And amen to that. Now, let's do another thought experiment. Placing the words of Jesus within the context, a bigger context, really, what's happening in Jesus' life? The encounter we hear today is not very far from that final journey into Jerusalem. That final journey towards his death. And so Jesus doesn't have much more time with his apostles. So what is he doing? He's preparing them. He's preparing them for after his death and resurrection on what to do. Essentially, he's organizing them. So you say Jesus isn't about organized religion? To the contrary. See, he's placing order within his followers. He's setting up his ecclesia. He's setting up his church. He's giving the authority to these apostles, not just to Peter, but to the 12, that he's drawn close to him, that he's formed himself, that he's taught, so that they will go and teach others. My brothers and sisters, it's important for us to realize that Jesus Christ, as we see in the Gospels, intends one united, organized church. One church with him as the head, and one church with him as the head, and then the 12 apostles as the founders of that church. Now, those founders were a little unorganized, but not Jesus. You see, our Lord Jesus Christ does not intend for, them to, for there to be many denominations of Christianity. To the contrary. Because let's think about it. It would be absurd for Jesus if he didn't desire one church, one united church, to speak about, like we heard today, treating a brother like a Gentile or tax collector. What is he saying there? He's saying those who are in error through their own sin and disobedience, are supposed to be instructed rightly, corrected, admonished. And if they fail to repent even before the church, 
and they're treated like Gentiles and tax collectors. Namely this, this is what he means, that they're placed outside the church. Why? So as to bring them back in. Think about correcting a child. Sometimes you got to put him in time out for him to realize what has happened, and then he comes back to join the family. And think about this. How did Jesus treat Gentiles and tax collectors? He ate with them, he sat with them, and he evangelized them. It doesn't mean dismissing them forever. It means calling them to repentance, to come back to the family. And if Jesus didn't attend one church, and someone has odds with that one church, that he can go somewhere else and be okay. But no. Rather, it's not our Lord's intention that there be many, but that there be one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church founded upon the apostles. There's a picture of a man, you can't see it now, and he's wearing this funny hat, and he's holding this funny stick. That's Bishop Kinnerman. And he himself is a successor to the apostles. So if you went back and back and back and back and back, you'd find one of the 12. That's powerful. That's what Jesus came to establish. Now, why do I preach on this? I'm not trying to demean our separated brothers and sisters, our separated brethren who profess Christ as their savior. I'm not doing that at all. Rather, this is a summons for us today to be proud to be Catholic, to be unabashedly Catholic, uncompromisingly Catholic. This is an exhortation for us to stand firm in our beliefs as Catholics and not to be afraid to defend them, even if that means we're persecuted for them. Blessed are you when you are persecuted for my sake. This is an encouragement to know that we stand upon the foundation of the apostles. This is a call to all of us to share the beauty and the truth of the one holy Catholic and apostolic faith with everyone to evangelize those whom we meet. Because by our baptisms, my brothers and sisters, I'm sorry, but we're not called to be bench warmers. We're not called to stand on the sidelines. We're called to be evangelizers, to be little a apostles, people who are sent. That's who you and I are. To do so in both word and deed. So we need to know the dogma, know the faith. We need to live the dogma, live our faith. Maybe you've heard this question recently, and I'll pose it to you again. Does the dogma live loudly in you?